All right, again, glad you're here. Hope that you have a Bible handy. We're going to play a little bit of Bible drill here in a couple of minutes. We're going to look at a lot of different verses, starting in Deuteronomy and then moving forward. Uh, There are notes. If you didn't pick up notes on the way in, there's a stand up at the front and a stand in the back with notes on it where you can track along. Our Wednesday night series is called The Bible, and it's a two-part series. On the front end, on this side of spring break, we're talking about the doctrine of the Bible. What is it that we actually believe about the Bible? And the things or the topics that we're talking about, we've already talked about inspiration and inerrancy. Tonight we're going to talk about perspicuity. That's a word we don't use a lot. Uh, It basically means the clarity of Scripture. And you're thinking, well, why didn't you just say the clarity of Scripture? Because theologians use the word perspicuity, and you can learn new words. It's good to learn new things. So we're going to talk about the perspicuity of Scripture. In the weeks ahead, authority, necessity, sufficiency, power, unity, and the beauty of the Scriptures. That'll get us to spring break. On the other side of spring break, we're going to talk about how you actually interpret the Bible. When you dig into the text of Scripture, what are the rules that govern the way that we handle the text and think about the text teach the text, and apply the text to our lives. So, tonight, the Bible uh, and its perspicuity, its clarity. When Brooke and I were in college at West Texas A&M, we were both accounting majors, and at some point, I remember reading in one of our upper-level accounting tax courses a statement that went to the, this effect, something like this, the United States tax code is the most complicated Uh, convoluted, ridiculous document that's ever been written in the history of mankind. I have no idea how you would empirically verify that statement, how you would compare it to any other document. I do know this. In 1913, the United States federal tax code was 400 pages, and as of 2014, it is 74,608 pages. I don't know if you've ever tried to wade through those 74,000 pages, just starting on page 1, ending on page 74,608, or however many more have been added. I can't imagine it's gotten any smaller since 2014. But I imagine that you've had the experience of reading something that you were looking at, staring at, and thinking, I don't understand this. Right? Maybe it was Christmas Eve, and you were trying to put something together, And you had a set of instructions, and as you started working through the instructions, you thought, the person that wrote these didn't speak English. They somehow wrote English words, but they don't actually speak English, and it doesn't make sense. And I don't have all the parts, and and you're just absolutely confused. Maybe you were in high school, and you had to read something like Beowulf or Shakespeare. I remember in uh, junior and senior English, we had to read some Shakespeare things, and I just remember reading those things thinking, I'm dumb. Because I don't, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Somebody tell me uh, what this means. Now, I thought as I was thinking about uh, this message, uh, a while back I downloaded this list. This has been years ago. Uh, the 100 greatest novels ever written. And I thought, well, I like to read. That'd be a great list to tackle. And so I've been reading books off that list. One of the books on that list, I wish it wasn't on that list, is A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Have any of you read this book? Oh, my goodness. I have tried to read this book at least a dozen times, and I think I've made it to page three 
every time. I get to about page three and I think, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I don't like that his sentences take up 15 lines on the page. I don't like this and I don't want to read it. It's too complicated and so I give it up. Just before I came in, one of our former church members texted me uh, this evening and he said, hey, have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? And I said, oh. I said, this feels like I'm confessing to a priest because I think if you're a pastor, you're supposed to read Pilgrim's Progress. And I said, no, I haven't read it. And every time I've tried to read it, I've found it ridiculous and not interesting and hard to make sense of, and I've just given up on it. It's too complicated. I don't want to read it. Not interested in wading through something like that. Tonight, we're talking about an aspect of the Bible that ought to give you a little bit of hope, okay? We are talking about the perspicuity of the Bible. We are talking about the clarity of the Bible. And before I just jump in and we look at a bunch of verses, I want to give you a few quotes that just sort of set the framework for what we're talking about. What do we mean when we say the Bible is clear? I thought about rephrasing these quotes and bullet points, but these guys said it well, and so I'm going to give them the credit, and I'm going to have you fill in a few of these blanks. We're going to start with R.C. Sproul. He wrote a book called Knowing Scripture, and he says this, in the 16th century, the reformers declared their total confidence in what they called the perspicuity of Scripture. What they meant by that technical term was the clarity of Scripture. They maintained that the Bible is basically clear and lucid. It is simple enough for any literate person to understand. This is what I want you to focus on in this piece of the puzzle, its basic message, okay? It is clear in its basic message. We are not saying that everything in the Bible is clear. We are saying the basic message of the Scriptures is clear to anyone who approaches the the Scriptures and can read and is literate. What do we mean by the basic message? Well, that would include the character of God. Who is God? What's he like? When you read the Bible, that's not hard for you to discern. When we say the Bible is clear, we mean it's clear about who we are as creatures created in God's image, but also as sinners. That is really clear when you read through the Bible. There is something wrong with us. We're sinful people. The Bible is clear and that there needs to be a sacrifice in order for us to be saved. Jesus is that sacrifice. The Old Testament points forward to him. The New Testament reveals him. The Bible is clear about who Jesus is and why he came to this earth and what he accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection. The Bible is clear about the importance of faith. It's clear from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation that we are not earning our way with God, but we are putting our faith and our trust and our hope in God. So we agree with Sproul and we say the basic message is clear. Is the Bible going to answer every question that you may have? No. But the basic message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is clear. Secondly, let's listen to Dockery and Nelson. The doctrine of the clarity of Scripture entails the affirmation that Scripture is written in such a way that it may be understood by those who, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, read or hear the biblical text. This is an important piece of the puzzle when you're thinking about the clarity of Scripture. We believe, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, 
that the Holy Spirit of God inspired or breathed out the words of Scripture. That what we read in the Bible is not just Paul's words, Isaiah's words, Moses' words, John's words, Peter's words, but they're actually God's words. He breathed them out. The Holy Spirit carried these men along as they wrote down these words that we call Scripture, that we call the Bible. The Holy Spirit doesn't just inspire the Bible. He also illumines the Bible, or he shines a light on his word to help us understand it. And so when we say the Bible is clear, we're not just saying, you know, we're really smart people. We can handle Beowulf, Shakespeare, United States tax code. The Bible's a piece of cake. What we're saying is that the basic message is clear, the basic story is clear, and that the same spirit that inspired these words helps God's people to understand these words. Okay, one more quote from Grudem. The clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who will read it, seeking God's help, that's seeking the help of the Holy Spirit, and being willing to follow it being willing to follow it. There's a very real sense in which the only people who truly understand the scriptures are the people who not just intellectually understand the grammar and the vocabulary and the syntax, there's the people who are actually seeking to follow what God is calling us to do as his people, to live in a way that is reflective of what the Bible says about who God is and who we are and what Christ has done for us and who God has called us to be. So there's got to be this desire, this willingness to follow. Now, let's play Bible drill. Take your copy of the scriptures and let's look at a few verses starting in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read a lot of verses here that are familiar to you. And there's a lot of things we could say about all these passages we're looking up. We're just reading these passages with an eye to what do these passages tell me about the clarity, about the perspicuity of God's word. So Deuteronomy 6, we'll start in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I'll just stop right there and say that's not complicated, right? Listen, listen, our God, Yahweh, is one. That's pretty simple. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. There is an assumption in that passage, number one, that parents ought to be able to take in the word of God and understand it and that parents ought to, in turn, be able to communicate the Word of God to their children. If parents have the ability to take it in and understand it, that's what God assumes here, and children have the ability to hear it from their parents and also understand it, that gives weight to this idea that the Scripture is clear in the main things. Does the kindergarten Awana class uh, understand all the intricacies of the book of Revelation? No. Neither do I, neither do you. But they can understand who God is. He's one. There's one God. He's Father, Son, and Spirit. They can understand that. They can understand that we're sinful people. We do things that 
displease God, that violate his, his laws and his rules and his commandments, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that God calls us to put our faith in him. Parents can get that. Parents can communicate it to their kids, and kids can understand that. We're talking about the clarity of Scripture. Look at Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are some things that God has not revealed to us. There's some things he hasn't told us. Sometimes you have a question about God or life or whatever, and sometimes the answer is, we don't know. God hasn't told us that. The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that he's revealed to us are ours, and not just ours, but our children's. And they're ours and our children's in a way that we can do them, that we can do the things that he's told us to do. So we're, again, we're thinking about the clarity of Scripture. I'll let you look up the Corinthians passage. It's Paul talking to the Corinthians about seeing through a glass dimly, right? Sort of similar to this idea that there's secret things and there's revealed things. He says, we see through a glass dimly. That doesn't mean we don't see at all. It just means we don't see everything. We don't see all the answers. We don't know everything that we might ask about. But it does mean that we see. We see through a glass dimly. We, we see partially. But we do see things. The, the main things in the scriptures are clear. Look at the book of Psalms. Almost every week we're going to look at Psalm 19. It has a lot to say about the scriptures. We're going to look at Psalm 119 almost every week. Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Listen to this. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If you are of simple mind, here's good news. God's word will make you wise. You don't have to be upper level literature major, tax code expert, whatever. If you are of simple mind, you read the scriptures, you seek God's help in it, you approach it humbly, willing to obey what God says, to to be the kind of person he's called you to be, to put your faith in him, you end up being a wise person. The scripture is clear enough to make the foolish or the simple wise. Look at Psalm 119, just a few pages over. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. If you're of simple mind, God's word gives you understanding. Flip to the New Testament. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is another passage that we're going to reference quite a bit. In this study, we spend a lot of time, uh, or we spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks, and we will in the weeks ahead, talking about verse 16 and 17. that says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But just back up two verses and listen to what comes right before it. Verse 14, Paul to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned. He's talking about the scriptures here. Timothy, you were able to learn this. It was not so hard, so dense, 
so opaque that you couldn't learn it. You've learned it. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, there's a lot of things we could talk about in that passage. The thing I just want you to think about is, according to Paul, thinking about Timothy's life, he says, you, Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, from childhood. We know that his mother was a believer. We know that his grandmother was a believer. Paul says, remember who taught you these things, your mom, your grandma, me, Paul, your mentor, your father in the faith. You've been acquainted with these things from childhood. Not once you became an adult, the light bulb went off. You learned these things as a child, Timothy. You knew these things. If children can learn them, there's got to be a a certain clarity to the Scriptures. Paul says in the verse we started on that Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. The Word of God is going to be profitable. It's got to have some measure of clarity. We've got to be able to understand it. We've got to be able to make sense of it. And Paul certainly thought that was true. Now, look at 2 Peter 3. I gave you a verse here that on the surface seems to disprove my case. 2 Peter 3. This is the Apostle Peter. And he's actually talking in this passage about the Apostle Paul. Peter talking about Paul. Peter has read some of Paul's stuff. And he kind of spills the beans here and tells you what he thinks about it. 2 Peter 3 verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters... When he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. We're going to circle back to this passage in a few weeks and note that here Peter compares Paul's letters to the other scriptures. And the the grammar of this passage indicates that Peter thought Paul's letters were Scripture. And he admits, there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. And you say, I knew it. It's all a lie. It's just as bad as the tax code. No, it's not. He doesn't say, Paul's letters are the worst and you can't understand them and you need a Ph.D. in English literature to make sense of it or Greek literature to make sense of it. It's not what he says. He says there's some things. Some of the stuff Paul says is hard to make sense of. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Not all of it. And he says part of the problem is that ignorant people twist it. Right? There are people who approach the Scripture not wanting to believe it, but just wanting to play games with it, and they twist it to fit their own agenda. And Peter says they do this with all the Scriptures. They do it with Paul's letters. They do it with all the other Scriptures. So there's some things that are hard to believe, but in the main things, it's clear. And you know that because look what Peter says. He's talking about the patience of our Lord being salvation. Right? That's the character of God that assumes our sinfulness, the idea of salvation, that assumes who Jesus is and what he's done for us. 
It assumes that he's called us to be people of faith and patience and endurance. All those clear things in the scripture are wrapped up in that. The count the patience of our Lord is salvation. And he says, this is what Paul has written to you about. It's the patience of the Lord resulting in salvation. That's who God is and who you are and what Jesus has done and who you're to be as you trust in him and as you follow him. The main things are clear things. One more verse I just want you to see. Look at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 7. When you read in the New Testament, Romans all the way through 2 Thessalonians, Paul is writing letters, and all of these letters, Romans to 2 Thessalonians, are written to churches. Now, he writes some letters to pastors, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, all written to pastors. But look what he says here. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Essentially, to all the Christians in Rome, I'm writing this letter to you. Now, there's some stuff in Romans that's hard to wade through. Some challenging things. But Paul didn't write it just to the PhDs. He didn't write it just to the pastors. He didn't just write it to the Sunday school teachers or the deacons or the elders or whoever. He said, I'm writing this to all the saints. This is stuff that you need to know, you need to understand, you need to think about, you need to live out. All of these letters are written to churches, not just trained theologians, okay? One quick side note, we're not going to spend much time on this. All these verses I've given you, we're thinking about special revelation. We're thinking about the Bible, God revealing himself in the Bible, and we're saying that the, the Bible is clear. We're talking about the perspicuity of the Bible. You could also talk about the perspicuity of general Revelation, And you could just jot these verses down. I don't think these are on your notes, but you can look at the first half of Psalm 19. You can look at Romans 1. And what David says and what Paul says is that the things God has revealed about himself in nature, it's not the same as what he's revealed in Scripture. It's a different, different set of truths, right, complementary truths. But the things that he's revealed in general revelation are also clear. David says everyone has heard the voice of the Lord in the the glory of the heavens and the sun moving around the earth. Everyone has heard the message of God's general revelation. Paul makes the point in the book of Romans that the things God has revealed through creation and conscience are plain to people. We suppress them because we're sinful people. But the things that he's revealed, his invisible nature, his divine attributes, his power, the fact that he's the creator, all of these things that he's revealed in creation are plain to people. The fact that they reject them doesn't mean that God did a poor job of revealing himself. It means that we're sinful people who are not prone to listen to what God has said to us. That's true for general revelation as well as special revelation. Now, Some of you know a little bit of church history, and you have questions, and you have objections to this, and you have thoughts rolling through your head thinking, I don't think it can be this simple. I don't don't think it can be this easy. And you're thinking about church history, and you're thinking about all the debates and the divisions and the disagreements and the fighting and the things that people couldn't agree about when they looked into the Bible. You're thinking about things like the Great Schism in the year 1054 when the Eastern Church and the Western Church split into two. Up to that point, there was just one church. There's no denominations. There's no Catholics or Orthodox or anything. There's just the church, the Christian church. 
1054, they finally said, we've had enough of you, we've had enough of you. They excommunicated each other in uh, Hagia Sophia, uh, and one side said, we're kicking you out, and the other side said, we're kicking you out, and they disagreed. They disagreed about how to talk about the Trinity. They weren't on the same page, and they said, we can't agree. They disagreed about what kind of bread to use in the Lord's Supper. You want to use that kind? We want to use this kind. You're wrong. You're wrong. We'll kick you out of the church. They disagreed about when to celebrate Easter. I don't know that you're going to find anything in the Bible about what date to celebrate Easter on, but they couldn't agree on it. And so they said, you do it your date. We'll do it our date. It's fine because we're both going to kick each other out of each other's churches. They couldn't agree. And maybe you think about the Reformation. You think about Martin Luther some 500 years ago saying essentially with the Catholic Church, look, we disagree. You think it's fine to sell indulgences and encourage people to earn their way into heaven and you think the church is a higher authority than the word of God and you think that uh, people need to contribute to their salvation through their works and their piousness and we think salvation is by faith alone and all these areas of disagreement, they couldn't find common ground. And you say, well, is the scripture really clear if they couldn't find agreement there. Look, even within Protestant churches, we disagree about uh, the nature of the covenants in the Bible. How do you sort through all the different covenants? How do they relate to each other? Protestants disagree on that. We don't all agree on how that works. There's disagreement about the law. What is the value of the law in the Old Testament for us as believers in the New Testament? Not all Protestants agree on that. There's disagreements about end times theology. What's going to happen in the end? There's disagreements about how you ought to structure a church. How did they do it then? How should we do it now? There's all kinds of disagreements. How does that fit in with the perspicuity of Scripture? Let me give you three thoughts. Number one, the perspicuity of the Bible does not apply equally to all parts of the Bible. doesn't apply equally to all parts of the Bible. There are parts of the Bible that are abundantly, excessively clear. There's some other stuff in the Bible that's hard to figure out. I'll give you the top three that came to my mind as I was thinking through. Number one, there's a story in the book of Exodus. Moses just talked to God at the burning bush. And God said, go back, get them out, bring them out. They argued for a little while. God won. Moses went back. He's on his way back. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says, one night God showed up to kill Moses. And you're like, what? Showed up to kill him. You, you're going backwards. You're like, I've slept through that last paragraph. What's going on? Then it says, middle of the night, Moses' wife circumcised his son, took the blood, touched the feet. God went away. That's a weird story. There's a lot of different explanations about what's going on there. It's not abundantly clear. I have thoughts, but it's just not overly clear when you read it. I'll give you another example. Uh, the end of 1 Corinthians, as Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. There's some stuff he says there that rubs up just, rubs up against almost every interpretation of what he's actually saying. It's a challenging passage to wade through. It's hard to take what he says about tongues at the end of Corinthians and fit it with the book of Acts. Now, I think there's a way to do it. I, I think you can make sense of it, but there's a lot of disagreement about it which tells you it's just not overly, abundantly clear. So there are certainly hard passages in the Bible. Perspicuity does not apply equally to all parts. 
the book of Leviticus, by and large, is more difficult to wade through than the Gospel of John. I think most people would agree with that. Secondly, the perspicuity of the Bible does not apply equally to all readers of the Bible. Last week I gave you an example of my son and his spelling words. I told you about the word pup and that he kept trying to spell it pop. And I'm pleased to tell you that when the test came, he spelled it P-U-P. We got it right. So, way to go, Clayton. Now, even though he got the word right, and even though he's moved on to a new sight word list, I would not want to put Clayton, who stumbles through a list of sight words, up against Mark Chastain, who's a lawyer, in a contest of reading and interpreting the Bible. Right? They're not on the same level. And so I can say, look, the Bible's clear in the main things. Come on, son. Let's go. Pop. You got pop, right? You can't get propitiation. It's another P word. How hard could it be? Right? It doesn't apply equally to all readers of the Bible. However, however, the main things are the main things. It really doesn't matter if you struggle to spell pup or propitiation or any of the rest of it. You can understand that God is holy. You can understand that you're a sinful person. You can understand the truth about who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. You can understand what it means to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. You can understand that if you're in the kindergarten Awana class. You can understand that if you're in the senior adult Sunday school class. right? In the clear things, in the main things, we're talking about the perspicuity of the Bible. I'll give you just one more example. There's a podcast I like to listen to called The Briefing by Al, Mo- uh, Al Moeller, who's the president of Southern Seminary. Every morning at about 3 in the morning, he records a podcast talking about news from the previous day from the perspective of being a Christian and holding to a biblical worldview. And he does this every morning with no notes. They've produced a little video on how he produces the podcast. To listen to it, you think the man is reading straight out of a theology textbook. He's just winging it. He reads a few articles. He hops on. He hits record. He talks for 30 minutes. He shuts it off. Easy. I can't do that. I bet you can't do that. Most of us are not on that level when it comes to thinking and speaking and reading. Right? This is a man that reads Books upon books upon books, dozens of books every single week. He just churns through them over and over and over again. So we can say the Bible is clear, but that doesn't necessarily apply equally to all readers. Okay. Thirdly, the perspicuity of the Bible does not apply equally to believers and unbelievers. And this takes us back to that Grudem quote where he says, look, part of the perspicuity of the Bible, part of the clarity of the Bible is approaching it with a willingness to obey it and to follow it, to be dependent on the Spirit of God, and to be eager to do what the Bible says. If it says repent, you're eager to repent. If it says believe something, you're eager to believe something. Luther made a distinction. I think it's helpful. He talked about the clarity of the Bible because in his day, the church basically said, look, people are too dumb to get it on their own. They need us to tell them how to figure it out. You can't turn these ignorant people loose on the text of God's word. They're going to come up with all crazy ideas. Guess what? Some of them did. But Luther maintained, no, they can get it. They can read the word of God. 
he made a distinction between external clarity and internal clarity. And the distinction he makes here I think is important. External clarity is vocabulary, syntax, sentence structure, grammar. Can you understand the flow of an argument? Internal clarity is does the word of God actually take root in your life? And there's certainly a distinction that we would make when we think about the clarity of God's word. Can non-believers, unbelievers understand the flow of Paul's argument? Well, yes, they can understand the vocabulary and the syntax and the paragraph structure and all that sort of stuff. But can they really get it? I think I would agree with Luther and say, no, they can't really get it. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a function of your education or your reading level or anything like that. Is a function of the Spirit of God at work in your life. So this is a good transition. How do we apply this doctrine to our lives? I want to give you a few thoughts. Number one, approach the Scriptures with humility. Approach the Scriptures with humility. Listen to what Paul said to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He said, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Right? Their hearts were eager to receive the scripture, not just as Paul said, but as thus says the Lord. They received the word of God as God's word. When you approach the Bible, that's how you ought to approach it, with the humility that says, I'm not here to nitpick Paul's grammar. I'm not here to nitpick Moses' word choice. I'm not here to find a contradiction between what Isaiah says and Paul says. I'm not here to play gotcha and try to look for mistakes. That's what theologians would call a hermeneutic of suspicion. You approach the Bible suspiciously, skeptically, right? If you want to be like the Thessalonians, if you want to honor the Lord, you approach it with a hermeneutic of faith, with an eagerness and a willingness to hear what God says. And you understand when you read the Bible, if something doesn't make sense or if something even seems to be a contradiction, your first thought is not, ah, I found one of those mistakes in the Bible. Your first thought is, I need a little help here. How can I sort this out? Listen to this quote from Gerald Bray. Differences of opinion over what the Bible says and teaches generally arise because the approach being taken to it is wrong. Another tendency that causes confusion is our habit of trying to make the Bible say things it was never intended to say. If you come to the Bible looking to prove a point, well, you'll probably be able to prove it some way, somehow. That doesn't mean you're actually approaching the Bible humbly, eager to listen to what the scriptures actually say to receive it as the word of God. Second, we should ask the Holy Spirit for help. I don't mean this to be any sort of mystical, magical, automatic process where you say, well, I prayed before my Bible study, so that means whatever I come up with is right. No, but it does mean when you approach the Bible, you say, okay, Paul isn't the ultimate author of this. Isaiah is not the ultimate author. Jeremiah is not the ultimate author. God's the ultimate author. And I can talk to him. I can talk to the author of Scripture. If I'm a believer, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And I can ask the Holy Spirit, will you help me make sense of this? Will you help me see what you're saying in this passage 
and I'm simple. Would you make me wise through your word? Next, take the Bible at face value. We're kind of dipping into hermeneutics here, but it's unavoidable on this topic. Take the Bible at face value. Listen, you don't need a Cracker Jack secret decoder ring to make sense of your Bible. You don't need to count off every seventh letter and circle it and draw chains and come up with weird words and numbers. You don't need to assign numerical values to this word or that word and say, oh, look what I found. I'm going to post this on Facebook. I figured out who the Antichrist is because I added up the words in this passage and the numerical values and then I subtracted the chapter letter and then I took it. Just stop. 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 That's not the, the way that God has spoken to us in the Bible. Just take it at face value, right? Look for the big picture themes of what the Bible has to say. Related to this, we should read deeply and, please, widely. Widely. A lot of times I talk to people and they say, hey, I want to go, I want to do a deep Bible study on a verse or a passage or a chapter or a book. And sometimes... What those people mean is, I want to do all the decoding stuff. And I want to figure out little secret things nobody's figured out before. And I want to connect dots that nobody's connected before. And let's, let's dig deep. And sometimes what you need to say to those people is, you know what? You should just read more widely. You should just try to read more of the Bible and connect more of the big picture themes and the big picture ideas and uh, the connections from Genesis to Revelation about who God is and who we are as sinners and what he's done to save us in Jesus and what it means to be a person of faith. Read widely. Take the Bible at face value. Next, use Scripture to interpret Scripture, something called the analogy of faith. We're going to talk more about it after spring break. When you come up against a passage that's a little bit unclear or less clear than you would like, one of the tools at your disposal is to find a more clear passage to help you make sense of it, right? You're approaching with a hermeneutic or with a mindset of faith, of confidence in the Word of God. You're receiving it as God's Word. You're not trying to poke holes in it, but you're saying, if I'm not clear here, what is another passage of Scripture that can help me make sense of this? Next, preach the gospel and distribute the Bible. Romans 10, blessed are those who preach the good news. It's why we send missionaries. It's why we send missionaries to people who can't read. It's because we believe that this message is clear in the main things. Even if you can't read a lick, some missionary can read it and tell you this is what the Word of God says and you can understand it. It's why we have a Gideon speaker in our church every single year. And it's why the Gideons send millions and millions and millions of copies of Scripture all around the world and leave them all over the place and put them in drawers and leave them in hotel rooms and hospitals and all kinds of stuff. Why? It's because they understand this doctrine a lot better than some of us do. The Bible's clear. Sometimes you don't need to spend so much time talking about it. Sometimes you just need to read it and listen to it and get out of the way. Get it in people's hands. Preach the gospel. Distribute the Bible. One more thought. Be good students of the Bible. I'm going to encourage you to look at 2 Timothy 2. Paul tells Timothy, work hard and handle the scriptures rightly. Don't be ashamed 
of your calling and your responsibility as an evangelist and a preacher and a teacher, but handle the word of God rightly. I think if Paul lived in 2021, I think he would say to Timothy, Timothy, Google is a poor substitute for a medical degree. Google is a poor substitute for a law degree, and Google is a poor substitute for a divinity degree. Work hard to study. Work hard to study the scriptures. Not having any training doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong, but not having any training doesn't necessarily mean you're spirit-led and spirit-taught. And there's a weird little cult of that out in West Texas of, well, I'm not taught, I'm not school-taught, seminary-taught, I'm spirit-taught. It's like, well, whatever comes out of your mouth about the Bible must be right because the Spirit has inspired you. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Work hard to handle the Word of God rightly. Look, if you were to sit down and read the United States Tax Code, 75,000 pages, average of 500 words a page, single space, it's 37,500,000 words. Average adult in the United States reads 250 words a minute. It's 150,000 minutes, 2,500 hours, 104 24-hour days, 313 24, uh, excuse me, 313 8-hour days. And when you get done with it, I don't know that you're going to be any better off. I don't think it's going to help you much, okay, Really. What about the Bible? You can find infographics like this. I know you can't see it all. This is from a, a project called 1689 Project. Uh, it takes the average adult 50 hours and 56 minutes to read the Bible. And in that chart, they've given you the lines across. The longer lines means that's a longer book. It takes you longer to read. Shorter lines, it's a short book. It doesn't take as long to read. Uh, Jeremiah is the longest uh, word count book in the Bible. It takes you 165 minutes to read Jeremiah. Uh, Third John. One minute. Not a long, not a long time. And I promise you, if you would be willing to spend nine minutes a day reading this book, nine minutes, if you would be willing to spend an hour a week reading this book, you'd read the whole thing in a year. And because of all the other things that we're going to say about this book, its power, its authority, its sufficiency, its beauty, it's inerrancy, it's inspiration, because all these other things is perspicuity. I promise you, you'll be better off. I promise you, you'll be better off. 